Aetheran Dark Saga is a dark fantasy audio drama. It contains themes of violence and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 1, Part 6, Lephias It took all his strength to push the gate open. His boots digging into the soil as with both gauntlet encased hands he forced apart the blackened steel bars. Each one twisted into spirals forming a chaotic pattern work upon the gateway leading down into the bridge of Nelm. Beyond, with great currents and tidal forces, the abyssal stream carved its black, liquid path into the blasted lands of Baal-Garoth. The stream itself was a malignant void, encapsulated within the dark, viscous membrane which gave the stream its tar-like appearance. Beneath those depths, unimaginable horrors that sought to feast upon the living. Eldritch nightmares and grotesque octopi-like beasts filled its currents, awaiting death for any foolish enough to stray too close. Yet traversing the bridge was often just as dangerous. The foul solitary outcasts of this neverworld often lay in wait within the tunnels, hoping for a chance to prey upon those brave enough to risk its subterranean horrors. Lephias was not afraid. If he could not survive travelling through here, then the labyrinth of Molgref would surely be an impossibility. He knew without a doubt he had the strength to proceed. But a moment of laxity, a slip of concentration at the wrong time, would ultimately seal his doom. The hollow elongated eye sockets of a Kambanai demon stared up at him. The jaw was missing from the skull, as well as some of its teeth. It lay atop a pile of cracked and damaged bones. With a slight glance he could make out those belonging to a few different breeds, mostly that of lesser denizens, though ultimately all were victims of demonic predation. An impossible darkness now loomed before him, but he did not falter. The tunnels being devoid of light would not impede him in the slightest. For like all Asarian born, Lafayette could see as well in the shadows as he could in the light. Ominous and jagged, the uneven stonework had clearly been sculpted by a chaotic mind. Sharp peaks and jutting teeth like slabs seemed to form an open maw leading into the ground ahead. His feet punctured through the misty veil that shifted upon the steps, 
a wispy waterfall descending into the void ahead of him. The grey-blue shade of the stonework now fading to neutral tones as he became enveloped by the darkness. His white retina shifting from its dominant spectrum, allowing for new waves of light to be seen. With a quick, precise movement, he unleashed his sword, a wicked falchion gifted to him by the Bladecrafters Guild in his homeworld of Asarian. An offering of great tribute, gifted to a great man and warrior. Yel Kalashan, or White Guillotine, when translated into the words of mortals. The blade itself was a shaped leviathan tooth, infused with rare dark meteorite steel, inscribed with ancient runes and honed to perfection with the artisanal skill only the blade crafters of Hof Kalash possessed. Yel Kalashan, sharp enough to slice through steel like lava through a snowfall. A deadly blade, and even deadlier in the hands of one such as Lafayette of Asarian. The runes glowed emerald light within the gloom, illuminating the edges of his trappings as the green light washed over his scale mail and grey lion pelt, turning it all a morbid viridescent. His other hand rested upon his flail's pommel, as it always did. Only when needed would he bring it loose, the barbs affixed to the chain's endings were coated in a vile poison, deadly enough to most living things and concocted by the alchemists from the congealed blood of hanged men and the various roots and plants found only in his homeland. The tunnel was cramped, negating any use for the flail, and so it remained at rest upon his sword belt. Smooth and flattened stone ran the length of the passage. Ahead, he could see the outline of an archway leading into an open area. The sight made him move with purpose, increasing his pace. Small pieces of bone fragments crushed the powder under his footballs, mingling with the millennia of dust that carpeted the ground. A flicker of movement from within the chamber ahead stirred his attention. Both hands now gripped tighter around his falchion, striking up a more defensive pause as he moved. Now holding the weapon closer to his body as though restraining the blade from taking action on its own. Lephias edged closer to the opening. As he stepped through, he was surprised to see a long elongated chamber, spanning three levels deep. It sunk and rose again on the opposite side. The bottom floor, horse to six similar archways to the one he'd now just traversed. Even from the height he now stood, he could see the floor was fouled with decomposing bodies and the filth those corpses provided. Desiccated flesh hung from the brickwork like brutal wallpaper. Tear marks and entry rooms visible upon them all. A gradient of colours, ranging from crimson to his own grey appeared amongst the macabre tapestries, though whose craftsmanship it was, was yet to be revealed. A theme of skeletal hands enveloping one another ran throughout the masonry work of the chamber. The symbolism, if there was any to it, 
was lost upon Matthias, as he paid it no heed, moving on down to the next level. The lower floor was now fully visible to him. He leaned over the edge and scanned his surroundings. The stench of decay here was overpowering. Such smells he was accustomed to, but not in such an amount. It turned his stomach. He did his best to take shallow breaths in a vain attempt to avoid breathing in the smell again. Pausing for but a brief moment upon the final step before touching down to the lowest level, he could now see the six exits were in fact small rooms, akin to that of a cell. He looked inside each one, using his sword as an extension of his arm as he moved each door open with the flat side of his blade. Inside the brickwork theme continued. Small collections of bones as well as rotting filth enveloped the corners and floors. Bolted to the ground, harsh-looking shackles could be found in each chamber. Their blackened steel and the cruelty of the objects reminded him of similar devices he'd seen within Valmaris's ebonstone keep. Sensing the presence of another and turning just in time to deflect a hideous claw from raking down his spine. As the falchion skirted upwards, it removed hooked nails and the fingers they spouted from. A hideous screech echoed within the room, as a thing without flesh recoiled in pain. Its mouth, a bloody mass, filled with lengthy teeth almost needle-like in appearance, and far too numerous to count. Its head was gnawed with an exposed skull. This thing was once a mortal. Of that, there was no doubt. The torso and legs gave away its human origin, but the arms and lower jaw from something entirely different. Exposed muscle, slick with fresh blood, showed clearly in the darkness. Its sockets receding inwards, but its eyes retained their humanity as the stony blue stood out amongst the white and bloodshot of its eyeballs. Veins and tendons were visible alongside its exposed skeletal system. Lathias knew just what this was, but he had not expected to see it here. These were the damned souls of mortals, often cultists whose bodies had been forcibly dragged into the Neverworld, performing service to Nezrakar only to receive the immortality they sought after in the form of this brutal existence. The flayed as they were known, their bodies unable to maintain physical form in Belgaroth, they languish in the lakes of blood outside the labyrinth of Morgreth. Waiting in the hundreds beneath the red waters, these flesh-hungry horrors hold no allegiance. They were barely sentient, but still, they were dangerous. Lephias wasted no time. Reversing the momentum of his defensive parry, he chopped down hard. Yel Kalashan severed the cranium in two, splitting apart the flayed's head. He kicked out at its abdomen, sending the lifeless body away from him. Wet and slick feet shuffled across the room. He made his way to strike the enemy down when he caught sight of another two encroaching, heading his way from the steps he'd just descended. Unleashing his flail, the Asarian charged in, 
thrusting with his blade and impaling one, its swinging arm sailing past his helmet, the clawed hand caressing his grey lion mantle as its now impotent strike missed. Retracting his arm, the falchion drawn back to his side. As he span, the flail led the way, hooking into the belly of the second skinless monstrosity. With a quick tug, its entrails spilled forth upon the step. Pulled by the weight of its insides and the momentum of the flail, it dragged the creature down, only to be decapitated as White Guillotine lived up to its name, sending the skull bouncing down the steps, rolling onto its side. The eyes wide, looking back at the Asarian as he finished off his first attacker, hacking into the foul thing's chest. Without pause, he threw out his flail, the chains tangling around the neck of his final bow. The creature was pathetic. These were like swatting at flies for one such as himself, but dispatching them was necessary. One was a nuisance, yet twenty could be lethal. The flayed one pulled at the barbed chains from around its neck, as Lafayas, with Yel Kalashan in both hands, shoulder-barged the thing, sending it to the ground. His boot, now upon the creature's chest, its arms raked helplessly at his feet. A downwards and efficient strike, ending all of the creature's movements as the blade took yet another life. Wrenching loose his flail and pulling it out from the muscle it had bitten into, he spanned the weapon in the air, removing the loose gore the barbs had accumulated during this encounter. Once sure there was no threat that remained, he sheathed it at his waist. Leaving yet another corpse in his wake, Lafayas looked on ahead. The way out from here now lay before him. Moving on and ascending the stairs, his sword ever ready, his mind focused. Whatever awaited within the next chamber, better be ready for him. Orin The buzzing of flies welcomed him as he roused from a deep slumber. His head was pounding with what felt like the worst hangover he'd ever experienced. Accompanied by the strong taste of blood so prevalent upon his tongue, he gagged. The pain from pressure sores within his legs, buttocks and back reminded him just how dire his situation had become. Letting out a deep sigh and a wince of pain Orin tried to stretch out the kinks from the awkward position he'd spent too long laying in. Two weeks had come and gone, and all the while he had languished here, laid out amongst the brown water that pooled in the uneven cobblestones. The stench had made him gag when he woke on the first day, and again on the second. The foul odour which hung in the air was similar to a slaughterhouse, with a generous portion of faeces tossed into the mix. His clothing had been stripped, and he lay shackled by urine-rusted iron manacles to the floor of his metal-gated jail. The truce he wore, drenched in what only he could assume was his own filth. What little light was present failed to illuminate anything but the immediate area within the gloom. His wrists were sore, as was his injured shoulder, but they all dulled in comparison by his need for water. 
They had given him little over the past few days, and he had found himself staring at the dirty brown puddles, overcome with thirst. He knew if this continued on he would not last for much longer, and no question he would give his right arm for a swig of Arteria Red, or even a sip of that piss water they called ale back in Gelling. The sound of boots flapping upon the wet stone caught his attention. The glimmer of fire preceding its bearer as it cast long shadows through the rusted bars of his confinement. The clangor of metal upon metal as the key slid into the lock, its rusted mechanism resistant to turning. A forceful shake within the keyhole was all the persuasion needed. The low clunk giving signal of the lock's surrender. The gate's hinges screeched in protest, and the noise seemed to tear through his head. He mourned his discomfort at whoever it was who entered the cell. He did his best to look up, but he recognised only the grubby boots as the torchlight cast shadows upon the bearer's face. Here, you. Wake up, you've got a visitor. Oi, I said wake up. I'm talking to you. Wake up. The man stepped onto Orin's hand and turned his heel. The hunter felt little of it as his fingers twisted under the weight. The tight manacles which dug into his skin had constricted his blood flow, numbing his hands from the wrist down. When Orin did not respond, the speaker booted him in his side. <clears throat> Unfortunately for Orin, the numbness hadn't spread to his ribs. All right, all right. <sighs> Orin squinted in the torchlight. His eyes, which felt dry and sore in the gloom, now stung as the glow of the flames seemed as bright as the noonday sun. Here he is. This is the one you were talking about, my lord. The man with the torch spoke. The scent of cedar wood and lavender filled Orin's nostrils. A welcome reprieve from the stench of filth. Ah, here we have the mighty hunter. Come from Vela Glas to save our little village. What was your name? Orin, wasn't it? Yes. Beaten down by a young boy, no less. How's your head? Orin recognized the voice immediately. It belonged to the local lord's scribe. No longer was he draped in his expensive garb. Instead, it was replaced with a long, dark robe, which clinked with small bones sewn into the fabric, his knees cracking as he knelt down before the hunter, a long talisman dangling from his neck upon a silver chain. He had not noticed the item before, though in the dark he could not see the details upon the pendant regardless. You bastard! He was just a kid! You're right. He was just a kid. And you forced that poor lad to attack me as well. Not bad enough to hit another man, eh? Only murder kids, dear. You're pathetic. You're sick. Oh, it wasn't me. No, no, no. Young Los was quite willing. In fact, it was his idea. Quite the little schemer, that one. Oh, come now. You shouldn't be so surprised. Even his little friend's sister wasn't his first. But for all his planning and scheming, he hadn't expected you. 
You're telling me Laws murdered the blacksmith's apprentice? You're mad. Samuel would have crushed the... <laughs> Is that what you think? But of course you do. How silly of me. You probably still think a wolf is doing all this. Alright then. Why don't you tell me what's going on, you horrible bastard? And why should I? Why should I tell you anything? All you need to know is this will all be over very soon. The scribe rose to his feet and clapped his hands. Two much larger men pierced into the cell, one holding a key, the other a leather strap. Without a word, the man carrying the strap whipped it across Orin's face and chest, causing him to buckle in pain. A sickening smirk spread across the scribe's lips as he turned to exit the cell. Bring him now. My Lord Kazalan has little patience, and unless the both of you wish to take his place, I suggest you make haste with it. The torchbearer bowing his head as the scribe strode past without a glance. Again the strap came down on Ori, this time catching his neck and shoulder. Stop! 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 Please! Orin begged, but again came the whip, leaving the old hunter whimpering as fresh blood welled up from his wounds. Right, Sanafala. Hold him down. The man with the keys reached down for the manacles, scraping on the metal as he tried to insert the key. Orin gave no fight. He sobbed in pain, completely broken. Tears and blood streaked his face, dripping at his chin. The salt from his tears stinging the already painful lash mark on his chest. Picking him up under his armpits and dragging him out, the robbed pair removed him from his cell. Orin felt his bare feet trail through the cold muck and puddles upon the cobbles. The small relief he felt when the manacles were removed instantly disappeared as the feeling began to return to his extremities. Battered and broken, the hunter knew his death was near. But how, and by whose hand, he was too terrified to wonder. It had never occurred to Orin before just how little he had cared for himself. And now, facing his demise, he realised his life had amounted to little. Nobody would grieve his loss. No family would miss his existence. Just tales from people he'd met in the alehouses and inns. Speaking of the times, he'd made a drunken fool of himself. This was not like him at all. No matter how many times life had beaten him down, Orin had always stood back up. Being robbed and left for dead at the roadside. Being swindled out of his pay by greedy, tight-fisted nobles. Even the day he watched his father take his own life, suffering with grief at his mother's death. Even then, despair had not pierced his heart. But now, in the midst of weeks of torture, close to dying of thirst and beaten into submission, the hunter had finally been broken. Although he had not heard another voice but that of his jailers, the final two cells in the roar of several others were occupied. The other cages, not too dissimilar to his own, were all covered in filth and swarming with rats. The bruised and withered corpse of an elderly woman lay curled up upon the floor, 
her shackles still binding her body to the ground, a prisoner even in death. Orin turned his head in pity, only to see a familiar face occupying the final cell. Though the bruising and swelling made it hard to tell, but slumped near the door, dried blood streaking round his belly and thick chest, hands swollen and limp, sat Brunnen, the blacksmith from the village. His eyes were blackened, and his nose so badly broken it appeared to have been spread out amongst his face. His grizzled grey beard, now a mask of red and brown, caked in his own blood. Opening the only eye he could, and as wide as he could, he stared at Orin, that singular brown orb catching the light of the torch held in the hands of his captors. Within that look Orin saw only defiance. Even now after the savage beating this man had taken, even after the humiliation of being kept down here in a cell, still he would not surrender to them. Don't make it easy for them, Orin. He stared back at the blacksmith, not knowing the words to speak, not having the heart to say he'd already given up. He wasn't strong enough to fight anymore. Whatever fate awaited him, he'd resigned himself to it. He then felt the shame of his weakness. Brunnen's gaze burned into his soul as he stared at the man, clutching at the bars with his broken hands, shouting words of defiance at their inevitable deaths. Brunnen's words echoing in his mind, Orin snapped out of his dreamlike surrender. The blacksmith was right. He would die. Of that, he held no doubt. But why should he just lay down and take it? And if he could he might be able to take down some of the bastards with him. Yet regardless of inspiration, reality hit home. He tried to resist, tried to snatch his arms out of their clutches, but his efforts were feeble at best. A well-fed ten-year-old could best him now in the state he was in. And as they began to reach the end of the corridor, he could see a purple glow shone from within the room ahead illuminating the uneven brickwork that made up the corridor. Violet light pulsed through the gaps in the old blackened wood, seeping out and around the edges of the doorframe. Muffled screams of agony and torment grew louder and louder as the door swung open, the glow from within engulfing them all. Guttural chants of dark magics boomed out from inside. Orin was blinded by the light and saw nothing as he was dragged inside screaming, jolting in terror as the door slammed shut behind him. Thanks for listening to Chapter 1, Episode 6. First off, Welcome back to the podcast after the mid-season break. I hated the fact I had to take that break, but I feel like it's working out for the better. Secondly, if you like the start of episode 5, with its peek into the past, I'm planning on doing some backstory episodes. It won't be the same length as the normal episodes, but they will give you some insight into the world, its characters, and the lore. Unfortunately, these will only be available to Patreon subscribers. Now, you don't need to listen to these episodes to enjoy the main story, they're just a reward for the supporters. 
Next up, iTunes reviews. This podcast has received three iTunes reviews in the past two months, and while I am grateful to those who've took the time and left a review, the audience number has over tripled. We're gaining quite a few numbers in Florence, Alabama, London and Birmingham, England, Rochester and Spencerport, New York, and to my shock and great joy, Zealand and the Netherlands. God, I hope I said that right. My point being, large groups of listeners, but no new iTunes reviews or Podchaser reviews. If you could take the time, guys, I would really appreciate it. Speaking of which, big thank you to Blanket Band and to No One, No Where, No How for your excellent reviews. I loved reading them, and I want you to know I appreciate the effort. Last thing I want to say is check out the audio drama Rise of King Asilis. It's an audio drama based on the premise that a second American Civil War has happened and one man, Asilis, rises up to become America's first king. Check it out. The next episode will be on schedule for two weeks' time. Thanks for listening. All music in this episode is by Kevin MacLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution License 3.0. You can find Kevin's amazing work at incompetech.com. Various sound effects were taken from freesound.org.